Come, Holy Spirit. Kindle the fire within us. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Please be seated. Oh, you look lovely in your red. We should do Pentecost more often so we can wear our red, I think. Um, boy, it's been, it seems like it's been a while since I've had a chance to talk with you. Um, before I took a couple weeks off, Elizabeth um, preached and, and did a wonderful job. Um, and then while I was away, George, thank you for being the captain of the ship while I was gone. You got to hear Father George and Turner. Um, and then um, just last week, um, our wonderful Mayor Terry Baugh. What a wonderful job he did, sir. Thank you so much. So, so part of this is just kind of getting used to my voice. First, right? You have to do that to help people kind of like settle into the moment, get their ears kind of attuned to your voice again. Um, and so I think about this, uh, this story of, of the Holy Spirit. I mean, because it is, it is Pentecost, and there's nothing to say about the Holy Spirit. And so I, I remember the story about um, this monastic, this, this brother in a monastic community who um, was gaining a lot of weight. Just really need to do something about this weight gain. And so the, the abbot called the brother in and, and kind of pointed out to him, well, remember, brother, that um, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you should do better care for the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and the brother took the heart and, you know, he watched his diet. He sort of upped his activity level and he managed to take off some weight. But you know what happens, right? Right? You lose those pounds, they find you, and they bring some of their friends. Right? And so this is what happened, right? He lost all this weight and things were going well. And, and suddenly he was like almost like twice the size he used to. And so the addict called him back in and said, well, brother, we had the conversation, right? You're doing so well. Caring for that temple of the Holy Spirit. What happened? As <laughs> well, I had a dream. And in that dream, the Spirit of God came to me and told me that I am not the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can that be? He goes, no. He said, no, you're not the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to be a basilica. <laughs> Some of us liked that quite well. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. You see my voice yet? Here's one more. Here's one more. Um, there was a, a young priest that joined this uh, this parish um, and was getting some some preaching pointers from from the senior priest. Uh, they're talking about what to do when the congregation starts looking out the window or, you know, watching the... Isn't that gorgeous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Squirrel. <laughs> you know, when they start nodding off or you lose their attention, how to bring them back in. And so the senior priest said to that junior priest, so what I'll do is I'll say something shocking to kind of get them and then, you know, get their attention back. I'll say something shocking and they'll go what? Right, and I'll get him back on board. Kind of like this, kind of like this, you know. Like um, one time, this is the senior priest talking to you. He said, one time, this is what I did. I, I, I told my, my congregation, I have a confession to make. <laughs> that could have been enough right there. <laughs> I have a confession to make. I, I spent last night in the arms of a married woman. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> So, so the young priest taking that and going, yeah, I need to do something sometime to shock them, decided to try that line. 
was standing in the pulpit and saw the people were kind of like wandering off somewhere and said, I got a confession to make. And they all kind of, wow. Yeah, I spent last night in the arms of a married woman. And then he just froze. He said, and for some reason I can't remember her name. <laughs> yeah, that's when you really need the Spirit of God to show up and bail you out, right? Help me, Lord. Yeah, it'd be great if you would call on the Holy Spirit, not just for those moments of kind of embarrassment and kind of senior moments, but we would do that more often. We'd do that more often. Today is the birth of the church. It's the birth of the church. It's the day we celebrate the, the, the anointing of this community with that same spirit that came to Mary and gave us the incarnation of our Lord. That same spirit that came upon Mary. The same spirit that came upon Jesus at his baptism. The same spirit that led him to lead the life that he led, to love the way he loved, and to renounce the love of God. Renounce the love of God and the healing of God for the whole world. Inviting everyone into that. That very same spirit that at his crucifixion, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He gives it back. And it's that same spirit that was in him and animated him, allowed him to do the work that he did. That same spirit of love is the one that now is sent back for all of God's people. It's something new being born. It's a birthday. It's a birthday. Now, in the Middle Ages, churches would, would enact something of that coming of the Holy Spirit by making holes in the ceiling. Where's Teresa Gribble? Wouldn't you like that? I didn't do that to you, dear. Think about getting a chainsaw, cut some holes, people come in, what happened to the church? Well, Bill thought this would be cool. <laughs> yeah, it used to be they would go and open up holes, Holy Spirit holes in the ceilings. And at a proper time, they would release doves into the ceiling to, to fly down among the congregation. Bring your umbrella. <laughs> because the dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit descending as a dove, right? So that's kind of a symbolism of that. They would let these, these birds in through there, and then they would drop rose petals. Beautiful, right? Spirit coming down. And the boys in the choirs would rush throughout the gathered, making whooshing noises. <laughs> Probably one day it would be easy to get our kids here, right? Once you're going to run around the church and make a lot of noise. Whooshing noise. George did that. <laughs> Quite something, I think, to have that kind of visual. Now, Celtic Christians, some of you know this, right? Celtic Christians have a different symbol for the Holy Spirit. They have a different animal. It's another bird. You know what it is? It's a wild goose. Okay? The wild goose is their symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine that dropping wild geese? <laughs> Watch out below. Do they fly? <laughs> so you remember, you're thinking Les Nessman now, right? That holiday scene from Nelly KRB. Turkey's out of the helicopter. Oh, the humanity. Yeah, the goose is actually a very, it's a very good symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a very good symbol of what we should be as people led by the Holy Spirit. Now, people who study these kinds of things, I don't know, gooseologists and their gooseology, <laughs> tell us that, you know, that deformation that, that they fly in, that deformation, 
actually increases the efficiency, how much work can be done. Extending the range that these birds can fly. So estimate by a 70% increase in distance because they fly in a B formation. With the strongest bird up front creating lift for the weaker, tired birds behind. Creating lift. Allowing the other ones to glide along and not have to work so hard. Kind of like the church should be falling behind Christ and letting the Spirit do the leading and we follow behind, kind of lifted by the Spirit. And they study these bird formations and they, and, and they notice that when the lead bird gets tired, it'll drop out of the front, allowing someone else to take its place, and it'll take a place of rest. What a wonderful message for a Spirit-filled church that we recognize that our leaders sometimes need to rest. And others need to move into the front and take their turn leading and let others kind of draft for a while. Isn't that right? They also say that when a bird is injured or sick and has to drop out, one or two birds will go with it and will stay with that bird until it either dies or it gets well enough to rejoin the flight. <laughs> so we should be a church filled with the Spirit where we recognize that if somebody is ailing, hurting, somebody's not doing well, somebody's suffering, that we don't abandon that person for whatever reason. We do not abandon them. But we stay with them to the end. We stay with them to the end. And the last wonderful thing, um, you know, we've, we've got, we've, we, we have the annual invasion of the Canadians going on right now. Right? They're all over our cove. They're producing rapidly. The little, the little ones are everywhere. And they make a lot of noise, right? That honking noise. Well, it turns out that that honking noise is for a purpose. When they're flying, that's encouragement. That's encouragement. Keep up the good work. Stroke, stroke, flap. Let's go. Let's go. Don't we need that in the church? That kind of encouragement? Job well done, good and faithful servant. Job well done. Jerry. Thank you for this morning. Yeah, that was wonderful playing this morning. Thank you. Yeah. Give people that kind of encouragement. Hong Kong, Jerry. Hong <laughs> Kong. Yeah, people were doing that after the 8 o'clock service. Kathy Wright came up to the altar rail and said Hong Kong as she received the Eucharist this morning. Because I don't know, it just kind of came out. <laughs> like, good! Good, Hong Kong. Our reading today follows upon the Feast of the Ascension. Ten days ago in the calendar. Ten days ago. Ten days prior to this gathering of the disciples, Jesus ascends to his heavenly home. And he tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait. To wait until you're anointed with the Holy Spirit. And after you are empowered by the Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be like Elizabeth and Harry and George and Turner and others who have the privilege of standing up here reminding us of the story of God and God's people. Wait for that anointing. And so they did. They didn't know it was only 10 days. Imagine after a few days they started going, still wait. And then a week came and went, still waiting. 
know an awful lot about waiting, don't we? Waiting for healing, waiting for redemption, waiting for better times, waiting for something awful to pass, waiting for new life, new creation. We know about waiting. They're lucky they only had to wait 10 days. But boy, after that 10 days was over, you couldn't miss that, could you? Holy Spirit coming like a rush of wind, fire and wind upon these earthen vessels. We have earth, wind, and fire. <laughs> because of the new creation, that's the way of the world. <laughs> You'll be playing that on the way home. <laughs> For a purpose. For a purpose. I mean, I think with all that kind of dramatics and, and fireworks and rushing winds and, and people doing the things they did and the crowd that was there looking on, know that these are immigrants. These are Jews, these are immigrants, these are people from all these other nations who have come to Jerusalem who are living there now, referred to as immigrants. They live there now, but they're from somewhere else. Notice that those are the people who are gathered around. Some of them, the Medes, they haven't existed for over 500 years. Where they show up from, who knows, right? This is an incredible gathering. Incredible. And notice the mirror. They're able to speak to people in a way that those people can understand. You get it? The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of being able to speak to people where they are, who they are, how they see, how they see. It's not about getting people to understand us. It's about us understanding how to speak to them as they are and who they are. That is the gift of God's Spirit. That is the gift of God's Spirit. The story of a, of a, of a very wise teacher who had gathered a number of disciples for a retreat, and on the first night of that retreat, they found out that there was a thief among the disciples. Sounds a little familiar. Sounds kind of biblical. And so the next day, um, the, the disciples who had gathered for this, this teaching retreat came to the teacher and said, um, Teacher, we have a thief among us, and we know who it is. You must cast him out. You must cast him out. And the teacher did nothing. Did anything. No response. So that night, Second time. It happened again. The thief stole something from someone else. And all the disciples knew who it was. They easily find out who it was. And, and they went back to the teacher and, and said, Teacher, that, that thief has done it again. Either you cast that person out, or we all leave. Ultimatum. And the teacher thought about it for a while and, and um, said, no, I'm not, not, not going to do that. I'm not going to cast him out. But I will call the community together because I have something to say. So gathered all the, all the disciples, all the ones who were threatening to leave, and the thief was there too. And he says, you know, all of you, it's time for you to leave because you know more than I can teach you. You already know so much, you need to go find another teacher. You know the difference between right and wrong.
poor disciple does not even know that. And if I don't stay here with him, who will teach him the difference between right and wrong? They said in that moment, that thief recognizing that rather than being accused and cast out, had somebody who showed some patience and some compassion and a desire to help this person learn something very fundamental, such as the difference between right and wrong. It said that that thief broke down in tears and for the rest of his life never stole a thing. See, I think the thing in that is, you know, we could condemn people who are like that. And we can say that we're just in doing that. Or we could be people who have the spirit of Christ, where we are compassionate and non-judgmental and non-condemning and willing to sit beside those people who might in the end victimize ourselves. But we know we do it because it's the right thing to do. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes it's the way that we treat people that is that inside of the Holy Spirit. It's not the words that we say, but it's how we, we, we interact with them. It's our, it's our presence out. It's our example that is the way that we speak to them in a way that helps them understand what the right thing is. I first heard this story in this parish. Dwayne said, Rocky, Dwayne, hi back there, Dr. Z. Um, he shared this one time at a, at a Christmas Eve service with the kids, if I remember right. So I'll, I'll share it again because we are storytellers and that's how we learn about the love of God. So there are these two brothers, an older and a younger. They worked together for a number of years. They had farms adjacent to each other. They, they helped each other out and, and things went really well and they could see each other across this meadow and, and things were going fine until there was some trivial thing that happened that, that annoyed one of them. And rather than being loving and forgiving and compassionate and understanding and, and, and being able to let things go, um, the disagreement escalated. And they came to hate each other. Out of something that was small, some small seed of, of evil that grew into something really big. They came to hate each other. And so one day, the, um, the younger brother decided to um, sort of cut off relations and really show his brother how much he didn't like him. So he took his bulldozer and he, he knocked down the earth and dam that held, held back the levee that held back the river. And, and the river poured through that meadow and created this creek between their property, kind of symbolizing I'm completely breaking off my, my kinship and my friendship and relationship with you. The older brother's looking at that and he's kind of, he's kind of upset by the whole thing. Back About that time, there's a knocking at his door. And he goes and he, he answers the door, and there's a, there's a guy standing there. And the guy says, Hi, I'm, I'm Joe. Passing through. I'm wondering if you have any work for me to do. Any small jobs so I can make a little bit of money to help support myself as I continue on my travels? Got any, got any work around your farm I can do for you? And he says, Well, Joe, what do you do? I'm a carpenter. Carpenter. 
He goes, oh, Joe, I got just the job for you. Check out this idiot younger brother. Come show you what that jerk did. See that creek? He broke down the levee and flooded this land, and now we got this creek running through here. You know what I want you to do? See all that lumber over there? I want you to build me an eight-foot-tall fence. So I don't have to look at that creek. He can't have the satisfaction of me seeing it, and I don't have to see him ever again. Build me a big, big fence. Joe said, yeah, I can do that for you. So the older brother said to Joe, okay, I'll be back later. And if you need anything, we'll, we'll get it later on. I've got, got a few things to do. So, so the older brother left. He came back at the end of the day, and Joe, surprisingly, was already done with the work. He's inside the house. Well, Joe, did you get the work done? Sure <coughs> did. Let's go take a look. And so they went out back, and the older brother was surprised by what he seen because there was no, there was no fence there. Instead, there was a bridge. A bridge across the creek. And coming across that creek when he saw his older brother was the younger brother with his hand extended, saying, you know, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. And for you to reach out to me, to want to reconcile with me, for you to take this step to build this bridge across that horrible thing that I did, to you by creating this creek and, and, and cutting you off, for you to take that first step, boy, what grace you have. Boy, what grace you have. They turned to look at Joe. Turned to look at Joe. And he understood. He understood what Joe had done for him. And then he asked Joe, he said, you know, Joe, I've got some other things for you to do around here. You think you can stay for a while? Can you stay? I mean, that was, that was really good. Can you stay? Joe said, no. No, I got, got, more, got more bridges to build. <laughs> but now you've seen. And now you can do the same. Now you've seen it. Now you can do the same. We've got the story of the Bible. We've seen we can do the same. We've been given that same Holy Spirit to love everyone the way Christ loved us. We can do it. Because sometimes it's hard for us to show compassion. It's hard for us to use the words, to get the words out. So then we rely on the example. Sometimes we can't do the carpentry work, so we, we do the sitting beside people. We do, we do the verbal part. <clears throat> One last story. <laughs> One last story. I mean, it said that uh, many years ago when, when um, the Jewish people were, were in peril, when there was a great crisis upon them, that one of their great rabbis would, would go to a secret place. And in that secret place would build a sacred fire. And would say a secret prayer to God. And whatever that crisis was would be averted. The catastrophe would not happen. And God would hear the prayer of the rabbi and 
God's people would be saved from disaster. And over the years, this rabbi, anytime there was a, a, a crisis in the community or, or some, something where the people were suffering would, would, would always go to that secret place, would build that sacred fire, would, would say that secret prayer, and God would always hear, and things would be well. And the rabbi died. Right? Generations come, generations go, and, and a new rabbi had that responsibility. And so the new rabbi found himself going to that secret place, but not knowing how to make that sacred fire. Going to the secret place, but saying, God, I don't know how to make the sacred fire, but, but here is the prayer, and that will have to be sufficient. And it was. And it was. Eventually that rabbi dies and another one takes his place and, and that one goes to the secret place and, and says, God, I, I, I don't know how to make the sacred fire and I don't even know the prayer. But this will have to be sufficient. And it was. And it was. God heard the prayer. Eventually got to a point where the rabbi in charge of making intercession for his people just had to talk to God. God, I don't know where that sacred place is. I don't know where I need to go. I don't know how to make this fire they used to make. I don't know the prayer that was said. But this will have to be sufficient. We're given the story of Scripture that we might be witnesses to God's work in the world. And maybe you struggle with being compassionate to others. Maybe you struggle being compassionate to yourself. Maybe you don't know how to build bridges. Maybe all you can do is all you can do is tell the story. And that'll have to be sufficient. God's Holy Spirit bless you. Honk honk. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>